Am I the only one who medicine has kind of let down? From Spa Dameron Tenney, it's the Prosperous Doc Podcast. Real stories, real inspiration, real growth. A show for doctors who are ready to improve their overall wellness in every aspect of life. Now here's your host, Shane Tenney. All right, welcome back to another episode. I'm Shane Tenney. Glad to have you uh, with us today, whether you're working out or driving in the car or whatever you're doing. We appreciate your, uh, your time today and glad to have you with us. You know, as the podcast industry is booming, as evidenced by the fact you're listening to this, uh, so is the competition between podcast shows and the need to really have a unique approach to build a community of loyal listeners. And we're here today with the host of a really unique podcast who has done just that. Laura McEldry is the voice behind the Married to Doctors podcast. Some of you probably already know about it. She's built a really great brand around helping make successful physician homes happier. Her podcast has been one of Apple's top relationship podcasts. One of the themes that I know from just listening to it over the last couple of months is just a real authenticity that she brings and a willingness to talk about things that are sometimes taboo or, or uncomfortable. One of the topics I know that she's covered extensively is loneliness, often caused by the rigors of the training process that a physician goes through that to become a doctor and the need to move to new cities, move through medical school, through residency, for fellowship. The physician couples are forced to go through long-distance relationships sometimes, start from scratch in a new city when they move. And I know Laura and her family have moved a number of times over the last 15 years, even causing, causing her to give up a job that she's loved a couple times. I'm excited to have her share her story with you and, and just the common, I guess, personality that we have on White Coat Wellness to I think what you have, Laura, around just authenticity and openness. So thanks so much for being with us today. Ah, thank you for the beautiful introduction. I'm happy to be here. So I'm sure that some of the folks listening today have already heard your podcast, and so they're going to have a fun time kind of getting to know you on the hot seat. But maybe you could just start off a little bit and tell us, you know, what, what, what was the story behind starting your podcast a couple years ago? Yeah. So things tend to grow after you hit rock bottom, right? And so for my husband and I, we had been through quite a journey to get him through surgery residency. In fact, he started out as a surgery resident and decided that with our family, that that was a bit much. And so he actually switched to pathology only to find out that he really missed the patient interaction. He missed the hands-on. He missed what he calls cutting on people and decided to go back to surgery. So it took us seven years and three moves to get him to become a board-certified surgeon. So once we had arrived at that point, we felt like we had crossed a huge finish line. And unfortunately, he took a job that was not a great fit for him for a number of reasons. And we realized that if he stayed in that job, he would not be doing the types of cases that he wanted to do and that he was kind of boxed into a corner at that job. About 50% of surgeons don't stay at their first job, but because we were a little bit older and had a family and had moved closer to family, we were really determined to make that job work. However, it just became obvious that that wasn't, that wasn't the best choice. And so we made a really hard decision, one that's a little bit on the crazy side, but we actually quit an attending position 
and my husband went back to training. So if you can imagine going through medical school, seven years of training, finally getting that attending salary, and then letting that go and moving your family cross country for just a year, that's what we did. And he went ahead and did a fellowship, which he had wanted to do before. But again, because we had kind of taken our time and had kiddos, we felt like, no, just go straight in and get a job. So he went and got the fellowship. The good news is he has the job he wants now. The hard part of that was when we landed in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where he did that fellowship, I kind of hit rock bottom in that, okay, this is not where I thought I would be. I turned 40 that year. I was busy enrolling the kids in new schools. I had no real friends or support in Albuquerque. And I thought, what in the world am I going to do for one year? You know, I could try to go take a job, but no sooner would I get hired, I would have to like be giving my notice. And that didn't seem fair to an employer. And so I started brainstorming things that I could do. And I thought, gosh, am I the only one who medicine has kind of let down? (laughs) And I thought, let me maybe start a blog or start something. And I went through a process and eventually landed on the idea of podcasting, which I'm so glad I did. I I love the format of podcasting and the conversations. And so I just kind of threw my hat in the ring and started a podcast. I had no following. You know, I wasn't anyone that anyone had ever heard of. I was just someone who had married a physician and went on a crazy journey, wanted to share my story, but more importantly, share the stories of many that go through medicine and kind of the ups and downs of that journey. Yeah. And and through that, I guess kind of what you're alluding to is to your, your pleasant surprise, there's a, a whole bunch of people out there that are are dealing with the same types of stresses, surviving training as a married couple, having a family. I know for you, even just the the change in your own career, you have your own professional training and background, right? That you've had to change your, your expectations of. Yeah. So I have a master's degree in teaching. I taught English as a second language, and I absolutely loved working with those kiddos. I had two different jobs as we moved around, both of which I was like, I could teach at this school and retire as a teacher from this school. I love the student-teacher relationship. I love working in the classroom. And it felt like a lot of my talents and education were just kind of always second fiddle because we had to keep pursuing medicine because that would ultimately pay more, pay the bills, and of course, pay off those student loans that were just gaining interest during all of this time. And so all of those factors, plus the fact that I'm the female, I'm the one having the babies and taking time off for that as well. All of that just led up to you know me leaving a couple of jobs, which I was happy to do in that I knew it was best for our marriage, but I was also very sad about doing in that it was part of me It was a part of my identity and part of what I really enjoyed and loved. And I have found that to be a common theme among many physician partners and spouses that they sometimes, of course, you know, physicians marry physicians and that's a whole nother can of worms. But for a lot of us that are non-physicians married to physicians, our careers 
kind of by default become second fiddle. Not that the physician doesn't value them, but due to the demands of medicine and just how it's structured. So you're going to most likely move for medical school. You're going to most likely move for residency training. And you're most likely going to move once again for an attending position. So you're looking at three moves. Sometimes people get fortunate and they can live in a larger metropolitan area and do more of that in the same area. But for many of us, those are moves across state lines, even across the country. And what that means is your job kind of gets derailed because those, those are the same exact years where you're trying to build a career. So it becomes very tricky to do that with those moves. Mm-hmm. And through the journey that you've been on the last 15 years, I guess, between all that you've described, as you've come to the, I guess, progressive realization that your career and your life is, is looking different than you, you thought it was at this stage. I guess speaking personally, I've realized the older I get as an adult, the more I realize I thought it would be different when I was at this stage. <laughs> as you've realized that and in, in many ways had to let go of the vision that you had when you went to undergrad and got your master's and thought you were going to teach you know, English as a second language, has that felt like the, the death of a vision to you? How have you wrestled with that? I think at certain times, I definitely went through some lows, but I think now I'm on the other side of it. And a big part of that was finding something that I could be passionate about, enjoy creating, enjoy doing. And that's that's the podcast. For me, it's been a creative process. It's been learning lots of new things like WordPress and how to host a podcast and how to get it to different platforms. So it's been an educational experience, a creative experience. And it's also given me back that sense of I'm doing something beyond just myself. So just like with teaching, I always felt like this is more than just me, like I'm helping students. With the podcast, it's more than just me. It's it's great. And it's helped me a lot personally. But I love hearing from my listeners and knowing that, I mean, nothing beats an email that says, hey, our marriage is stronger because of the work you do. Thank you so much for the time and energy you put into your show. I mean, that is such a high compliment. So, you know, I just, I love that. And I love knowing that it's made, you know, a small impact in the medical world. It sounds like you're saying as part of what's helped you endure and and begin to thrive again was acknowledging or or, or finding a a new identity to replace the identity that you you thought you were going to have. Is that kind of what you're describing there? Yeah, I think that's fair. A big part of that for me too was also embracing the fact that I'm a physician spouse, a doctor wife. That was something that as he was going through training, I always felt a little uncomfortable with. Perhaps that's because you know, I'm the first college graduate of the grandkids and I just didn't come from a background of physicians and I was very intimidated by physicians. Clearly over the years, I've become more and more comfortable to the point that I now have a podcast. So I obviously identify as a doctor's wife. And so part of it has been embracing a new identity, but still keeping those talents and interests that I had and finding new ways to use them. And so I always encourage people to you know, your life may not look like you thought it would, but that doesn't mean that your strengths have changed. So you just have to find new 
and creative ways to use, you know, the strengths that you've been blessed with. Mm-hmm. You mentioned a minute ago just how gratifying it is to get feedback from people that have have listened to your podcast and felt your contribution into their lives. Is there a, a listener or a story that that you are aware of that has really been impacted by the community that you've built and the work that you've done through Married to Doctors? That's a great question. So I think one of my listeners reached out and actually did some coaching with me as well. That's something that I enjoy doing. And, you know, really went from the point of, I think our marriage is is done. They were living in separate parts of the house. They were still married for the kids, but they were not connected. And working with her and seeing the change over time that took place in their marriage has been really rewarding for me. I don't do couples counseling, but I find it fascinating that even if just one spouse will reach out for some coaching or some therapy, the benefits of that for a marriage can be quite huge. We often think, oh, I'll just be happy if my spouse would change, right? But there's so much we can do with our own thoughts, with our own actions, with the things that we we feel, with expectations. And I think that marriages are definitely worth saving. That's one reason why I have a marriage podcast is that I believe that families are important and marriages are important. And I love to see those strengthened. That said, I am not against divorce. And I certainly, one of the things I always ask and can sometimes surprise people when we do get into a coaching session, I'm like, so why aren't you divorced? And I kind of play that card for a little bit. I'm like, so tell me all the reasons you're not divorced. And what happens is then they almost start defending their spouse and remembering all of the reasons why they haven't divorced the person. So I always like to remind people, hey, this is 2020. You do not have to be in this relationship. You do have options. Let's talk about what those look like. And, you know, I've never had anyone, fortunately, not that it couldn't happen, but at this point, I've never had anyone say, yeah, for sure, I want to get divorced. Most of the time, people do want to work through any challenges that they're having. And I do think marriages can get sweeter with time. It's okay to go through some lows. It's okay to go through some changes. You know, we're not going to be the same person in our 40s that we were in our 20s when we met. And that's okay. You know, it's been 20 years. We have 20 more years of life experience. Of course, we're going to have different views on things. But that doesn't mean that we can't still have an amazing relationship with love and respect for differences of opinion. Yep, yep. I think one of the things, as I imagine you know, that really sets apart your podcast and and the folks that are attracted to it is just your your vulnerability and realness about your own story and and willingness to interview people and ask questions that don't just support the the glamorous doctor life that is often portrayed out there. I want to ask you a little bit about some of the work and conversations you've had around loneliness right after we get back from this quick break. With this episode's financial wellness tip, I'm Will Coster. I want to continue discussing a topic I mentioned on our previous episode, estate planning. You know the importance of it, but here are a few more tips that I have on the subject. 
Oftentimes, I'm asked if paying a couple thousand dollars for an attorney is really necessary when having your estate documents drafted, or if using another method like LegalZoom would be sufficient. One thing I always remind those individuals is that if your estate documents are not done correctly, you'll actually often never know. Meaning that, again, it is your children or loved ones that are left behind to find out if you completed the documents in the way that you intended or not. Another very simple tip, but something that may be overlooked, is that one of the best things you can do from an estate planning perspective is to actually double check your beneficiary designations on accounts and policies. In fact, you can do this without spending one penny on an attorney. And did you know that beneficiary designations actually supersede the directions of your will? One last thought that I'll leave you with is to make sure you find an attorney that specializes in estate planning. Because there are certain intricacies to be aware of, and oftentimes they'll know the right questions to ask and the best language to include to make sure that your true wishes are carried out when you die. With this episode's financial wellness tip, I'm Will Coster. So, Laura, as I was saying, I know that one of the topics that you just embrace as a reality of the life of physicians and physician spouses moving around and being relocated and transplanted numerous times through their training is loneliness. You referenced really coming to a breaking point through the training process that your husband went through. Can you talk a little bit about that, what loneliness looked like for, for you? Sure. So loneliness for me looked like, I can't talk to my family about this because they think I've hit the jackpot because Josh is going to be a doctor. And that was true. He was. The potential for him to make a very nice living for us was always there in the future, despite the fact that it was taking time to get there. I wasn't very connected with other physician spouses, just in part because of the the layout of the city and lack of, of maybe events for us to get together. And maybe I just wasn't tuned into them. Maybe they existed and I I wasn't aware of them. So I didn't have too many physician spouse friends. I did have a few, but not many. And I think for me, I felt just like, who do I talk to? Obviously, I'm a very verbal person. I have a podcast. So for me, speaking to others is is an important thing. And not feeling like I could go to family because they wouldn't quite get it. Not really feeling like I could go to friends because, again, you know, how do you complain about being married to a doctor? It comes across as a very privileged argument. And I, I get that. I get that. But at the same time, just because we are, frankly, privileged with education and opportunity doesn't mean that we don't also have emotions and struggles and feelings. And so I wanted to create a safe space to verbalize that without the judgment that might come if you were just to put, you know, say a post on Facebook to a wide variety of people. So I feel like in our community, it's okay to say, hey, being married to a doctor isn't always as glamorous as it seems. And that that doesn't mean that we're not saying that we don't recognize the benefits of it. It just means that 
we understand some of the behind the scenes sacrifices and we understand that, you know, hey, maybe that means Dr. Dad or Dr. Mom isn't going to be at that concert, at that soccer game, at that birthday party, sometimes even at the birth of a child. I've heard those stories. There are times that physicians are not available. And so again, some of that loneliness comes from just lack of connection with your spouse because of the demands on them, especially during the training years, and in lack of, you know, who can I who can I complain to when it seems like such a, like I said, such a privileged problem. And so that was one of the reasons for trying to create a safe space where, you know, it's okay, it's okay to say that that this is hard. Yeah. I remember, I know you have a number of children as I do. And I remember years ago my wife just struggling with the stress of momming and talking with an older friend of hers who said, you know, it's okay to love your kids, but not always love being their mother. <laughs> and th- th- that resonated to me a couple of years ago when I was talking with a physician spouse, it, it happened to be the, the male in this case. And he said, you know, I love my wife and I love she's a doctor. I just don't always love being married to her. Yeah. And it is complicated and, and exhausting at times in unique ways. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That's a great, it's yep. a great way of looking at it. Yep. You know, I was, I guess, just to go a step deeper on that, because as you kind of describe your, your stories, you know, starting to come to a point of redemption as you're finding a new way of contributing to the world and giving back and, and using your talents and things. But I've become aware over the last year that it's not just the medical community that is at risk of burnout and struggling with burnout, but the spouses are at risk of burnout and exhaustion and fatigue and depression just as well. Yeah, that's true. In fact, one of the very lesser known statistics is that physician spouse suicide is a real thing. We hear a lot about physician wellness. We hear a lot about physician suicide. I don't remember the exact statistics, so I won't quote them and get them wrong. But I do know that if you are a female married to a male physician your suicidal chances increase. And that statistic really struck me. And I thought, oh my goodness, I'm in a higher category of people. And I think, well, who who would be at risk? And it's those that feel some of the things we've been talking about today. They feel that isolation. They feel that loneliness. They feel like they're not contributing. They feel like they're second fiddle. They're just exhausted from you know, the household and, and child cares and also just, you know, expectations. I think it's very easy to glamorize what, you know, there's all these ridiculous shows on television and whatnot about what it's like to be married to a physician. And certainly there are the outliers that make millions of dollars a year, right? But most of us are not looking at that kind of money or lifestyle. In fact, most of us wouldn't want that kind of lifestyle, I don't think. But you know, there's still that expectation in that when real life kind of happens and you realize, oh, wow, we have six-figure debt and we also need to have like 529s for our kids and things like that. You're like, oh my gosh, just those unmet expectations coupled with that feeling of isolation. I think all of those things can really, you know, increase the chances that not necessarily for suicide. I mean, obviously that would be the ultimate act, but just for the depression and the need for 
you know, a soft landing, a place to speak out to someone and to get that counseling. But again, it's like, well, why, why do you need counseling? Why do you need, you know, therapy? You're married to a doctor. You can pay your bills every month. You know, you have the nice house, the nice car, the two kids, the dog, whatever, you know, and I think it's just something that that's been taboo since, you know, the 1950s when the women would dress up and take cookies into the doctor's offices. You know, we had to wear the pretty dress and and cook the nice food for everyone. And those stereotypes, it's funny, you know, they haven't really gone away. It's still that idea of you're the entertainer, you're, you know, supposed to look a certain way, show up when you're supposed to, know when to stay quiet kind of almost like you're an accessory to your spouse. And I think in 2020, women just are not fulfilled enough hanging on the elbow of our our husbands. And that doesn't mean that we don't love them and we don't want to be on their elbow, but it does mean that we want to have, I think, you know, we have have other desires and interests. And so if we can find a way to, to really feel like ourselves, feel like we're contributing we will be happier and our marriages will be happier for it. Yeah. And you alluded a couple of minutes ago about how your entrepreneurial endeavor of this podcast, which I think started at the end of 2017, so you're, you're going on your, your third year now, congratulations, by the way, has kind of given birth to the interest by folks that have listened to you in one-on-one conversation, which has kind of given, given rise to the coaching that you referenced earlier. Can you talk a little bit about the coaching? And in particular, is there a theme to the topics or the, the concerns or the needs that, that you're engaging with? Or is, there, is it kind of just spread, spread all out? Yeah, great question. So coaching actually was something that I didn't intend to do when I started the podcast. But what happened over time is I found that people started to trust me for advice and and I was emailing people back and forth, these long emails. And I thought, well, I think I could with my teaching background and with all the reading I do in positive psychology and the, and the work on the podcast and the now hundreds of physician spouses that I've interviewed, I thought, you know, maybe I can offer this coaching. And so I do not have a set standard like, okay, week one is going to be this topic, week two is topic B, et cetera. What I usually do is just do a discovery call where we kind of find out what the biggest stressor is for them. And then from there, we set up a plan. To answer your question more directly, there are themes that often arise from these calls. We've touched on loneliness, moving, when to have children, finances at times can come up as well. Those are probably the biggest four, followed by intimacy issues, communication issues, jealousy issues. Yeah. And so usually it's going to fall in one of those, those categories. And from there, we'll, we'll make a plan and kind of talk about how many sessions I think we'll need. And I give homework. It's the teacher in me. And we try to work through it and see if we can make some progress. I'm also very quick to turn someone to a therapist. I am not a licensed therapist. So if they come to me with something that I don't feel that I can help them with, then I will follow up with them and do my best to make sure that they do get the help that they need. For somebody, I'm, I'm imagining there may be somebody listening right now who you know is going through struggles or situations similar to what you've alluded to. What's the difference between, or how, how do you determine whether 
someone should should maybe reach out to you for some coaching through their struggles, their confusion, their loneliness, that sort of thing. And when, no, you need to go find a, a, a licensed counselor or a marriage and family therapist. What's that line look like or how, how would you answer that? I think it depends on if they've tried some of the coaching techniques and they're not getting any benefits. I mean, I definitely do believe in clinical depression. And so if someone is going to need Lexapro or some kind of antidepressant, then certainly that's not something I can help them with. There are real chemical depression issues, and I don't want to make light of those. However, I find that a lot of people, it's more situational and it's more thought-based. And when they have someone that understands what they're going through, but can also be an objective voice and say, hey, 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 let's actually write out what they did. Let's write out what their exact action was, how that made you feel, you know, how did you respond to it? And let's talk through how, how this fight ended up happening in your relationship. I find that sometimes when we just take a step back, you get some objective advice. You start doing the homework and writing things out. A lot of things will self-correct. And that's the thing. I don't work with people for months and months and months. You know, most people will meet with me three, maybe six times, and they're like, oh my gosh, this made such a difference, you know? So sometimes you just need a listening ear. Sometimes you just need someone to kind of objectively say, am I looking at this wrong? Or how can I get through this particular low point, you know? Help me set some goals on keeping my own identity during this move. You know, it could be as simple as that. Sounds great, and and I'm so glad to have had you on for more folks to be introduced to you and and the potential help that you can bring either just through your podcast and those conversations or one-on-one. As we get ready to wrap up, I want to ask you, can we turn the corner full circle here and talk just about hope, awareness, future looking? What gives you hope as based on where you are now as a mom, as a physician spouse, as an entrepreneur? What are you excited about? Oh, great question. I'm excited that next week I'll be speaking at the University of Central Florida which will be a lot of fun. I'm also planning on speaking in Charlotte in April. So I love giving those live talks to people. I'm really excited that I continue to see, you know, some people might look at it as competition, but I don't. I'm excited to see additional podcasts coming out by other physician spouses and people that care about physician wellness because I feel like you know, two, three years ago when I started this, there just weren't many resources out there. So I I like to feel like that taboo is falling away and that those looking for help with their physician partner relationships can find that help. That makes me very happy and excited. Awesome. Laura, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks for what you're doing to give back to the physician community and the physician spouse community and congratulations on all your success. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Absolutely. And thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you found the conversation helpful. You can connect with Laura through her podcast. Again, it's Married to Doctors. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts or on her website, marriedtodoctors.com. And I would just ask you if if this podcast has been helpful to you, if the conversations and the guests that we have been helpful, would you mind subscribing? That helps us in the, the search engine mechanisms. And if the show's been impactful to you, you would you mind leaving us a review on iTunes or, or Google Play? If you want to stay connected with us, you can also subscribe to our bi-weekly podcast newsletter. 
You can see the information on how to do that in the show notes below. If you have questions, ideas, suggestions, or comments, you're also welcome to email me directly. It's shane at whitecoatwell.com. Thanks so much for being with us, and we'll see you back here next time. This episode of the Prosperous Doc Podcast is over, but you're not alone on your journey. Spa Dameron Tenney has been helping physicians and dentists prosper through financial planning for over 60 years. To connect with us, visit sdtplanning.com today and take your financial wellness to new levels. Join us on the next episode of the Prosperous Doc Podcast.